Paul said, let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything but in everything. By prayers and supplications, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God by prayer. So would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. When was the last time you felt really joyful in church? I hope it was today, here in our choir. But in case that has been the first time in a long time, I mean, when was it that you last left church feeling so full of the Spirit, so filled with joy and hope that you were bouncing out the doors? When was the last time you left here feeling like you were on a cloud rather than under the weight of the world? Or maybe, better yet, when was the last time you just felt joyful at all? Because this morning, I was in my office at 7.45, getting ready to come down here for our 8.30 worship service. And I was praying over the sermon. I was saying, God, is this really what you want me to say today? And I was having this beautiful, profound moment of silence. And all of a sudden, somebody drove their car into our lot and parked right next to my window. And her name was Pam. And she was listening to her music so loudly that it was shaking the window panes in my office. And I thought, who in the world is this joker pulling up in the church at 7.45 in the morning, blaring her music? And I looked through the window, and there's Pam using her steering wheel as a drum set. Just going to town. That's the kind of joy I want in my life. When was the last time you felt that in church? Years and years ago, I went to a church in Durham, North Carolina while I was in seminary, and I went every Sunday, because I always loved church, and when you're in seminary, you better go to church every single Sunday. <laughs> and I would come down the center aisle, and I would sit about halfway back on the right-hand side, and I sat in that same place every week. And there were a group of us, all in our mid-20s. Uh, preachers call that group the unicorns of the church, because they don't exist. The millennial generation, you know, the people that we're always hungry for to have in our church. And because everyone wants 20-somethings to be in church, no one ever talked to us. Because they didn't want to scare us off. So we had this group of uh, maybe eight or ten of us that would sit in the same section every week. And it was just a typical Sunday morning. The first hymn had begun, and we were all standing and singing. And I heard the doors open in the back, and I looked over my shoulder, and there was a young man probably about my age who was jogging down the center aisle and grabbed the pew right next to me. So because I'm a good Christian, I keep my eye on the prize when I'm in worship. I don't dilly-dally and talk to people next to me. I certainly don't draw pictures or write notes in my bulletin. So I didn't talk to this guy at all. But we continued with the service. We had that first hymn, the call to worship, the prayers, and everything. Then we came to the sermon. Now because I was in seminary, I was hanging on every word from that pulpit but not for the right reasons. Because instead of listening for how God was maybe speaking to me, I was writing down my little notepad, never say that from the pulpit. <laughs> Bad illustration. C plus sermon. But as I was sitting there writing and not really paying attention, I noticed that the young man next to me was doing one of these. Now, I know you all don't know what that's like because you go to Cokesbury Church and no one ever falls asleep here. 
But this young man was doing everything in his power to stay awake. He was doing the, the head jolt every time there was a punctuated sound from the pulpit. He'd sort of jolt back awake. At some point, he started rearranging how he was sitting, you know, moving his legs all around as if that's going to keep somebody awake. And I kid you not, at one point, he smacked himself in the face. But we got about 10 minutes into the sermon, and I knew that not even the Lord could save this kid. He was starting to lean so far forward that I was worried his face was going to smash the pew in front of us. He was going to get a bloody nose, and that I was going to have to call the ambulance in the middle of C-plus sermon. And so I did what any good young Christian would do. I leaned over to my friend. I said, hey man, listen up. If you put your hands like this, and you put them on the pew in front of you, you put your head right down there in your hands, you can sleep to your heart's delight, and everyone will think you're <laughs> And the guy didn't even so much as acknowledge what I said, but he looked at me, he looked at the pew, he looked at me, he looked at the pew, and then he fell asleep. <laughs> now, that would have been fun, except the fact that he was so in need of rest that within 30 seconds he started snoring so loud that everyone in the church could hear what he was doing, including the preacher up in the pulpit. And I think about it, I mean, it was funny. I remember laughing about it, and even we're laughing now, but it's, it's actually not funny. I mean, it's kind of sad. What happened to the church that stories like that were not these fringe things, but that we could all laugh about it? I mean, what happened to the church that it's not so filled with excitement and joy that it can even keep our attention? Why are stories about people sleeping in church normal? I mean, when did we let Easter be one day a year? Why isn't it that at church on Sundays we are at the most joyful we ever are in a week because we worship the living God? Something happened. We've lost our sense of joy. And part of me wants to blame it on the world. I want to blame it on the news channels I watch every night during the week. I want to blame it on all the events that are happening in the world that they are crushing my soul and I've lost my joy. But I actually don't think that's what it is. I think we as the church have lost our sense of joy because we no longer know what it means to pray. Paul writes to the church in Philippi and he writes this letter from jail. And he writes to co-leaders of the church and the church is falling apart. And Paul has the gall to write about prayer. He says, let everything in your life be brought to God in prayer. For Paul, prayer was intimately connected with joy. Joy was something that you had to have in order to pray, and you had to pray in order to have joy. He says, no short of two times in this one section, I say again, rejoice. And what we don't get in English, because we have bad grammar, we don't get that this is a plural rejoice. We have to say things like, y'all need to rejoice. Or in the Deep South, we say, yuns need to rejoice. It's not just about Eunice, you need to rejoice. Or Steve, you need to rejoice. It's everyone has to rejoice together. Because if we don't rejoice together, our joy, it's just not enough. So Paul has this... This idea that, no, the church has to find its joy through prayer. And not just by putting your hands together like this and kneeling by your bed at night, but we have to find a way to pray together in a way that gives us life. 
And this church, this church in Philippi had so many problems. Rarely does Paul mention anyone by name, but in this letter he has to say to Eudoia and Syntyche, you have to be of the same mind in the Lord. What a word for the church today. If you're not familiar with it, in the United Methodist Church, we are denominationally fighting over what we can do about certain people who want to or who don't want to join our church. Churches all across the country this week and the next week are fighting over what they want their budgets to look like and what their priorities are going to be as a denomination and as a church. We come to church every week and sometimes we're sitting next to people in the pews who drive us crazy. And we hear people like me say to you, be of the same mind in the Lord. Do you know how hard it is to be of the same mind in the Lord? Lindsay and I can't even agree on a restaurant to go to after church on Sundays. And we want to be of the same mind in the Lord? I think it is only possible when we pray together. It's the only way we can be of the same mind. It should come as no surprise to many of you that people don't flock to church when life is perfect. I don't have my phone ringing off the hook during the week with people calling to say, Taylor, you're never going to believe it. I finally got that raise I wanted at work. Taylor, you won't believe it. I finally reconciled with my son who I haven't talked to in 10 years. No, people don't call me with that kind of news. People call to say, I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills at the end of the month. People call to say, I haven't talked with my son in 10 years and I don't know what to do. People don't come to church when it seems like their life is perfect. They come when they don't know what else to do. And that's why the unicorns, the millennials, that's why people like my age don't come to church. It's not because we don't think it's relevant. It's not because we think the texts are archaic or old or anything like that. It's because most people in their 20s, they haven't felt the weight of the world yet. They haven't felt the rug pulled out from underneath their feet. They haven't had a moment that has driven them to find order out of chaos. I have too many friends my age who have never been to a funeral before. Do you know what happens when you're 25 and you go to your first funeral? Everything in your life falls apart. And that is the great irony of all of this. Because the church doesn't exist to fix people's lives. The church isn't around to make a difference. We are here as the church to praise the living God, who gives us the kind of joy that can stain us through both the mountains and the valleys we have every day. Church, it's not about us. It's about God. And to bring it all full circle, all of us are in need of prayer that leads to joy and the kind of joy that leads to prayer. Even the people who have the most broken and falling apart lives can show up with a mask on their face for an hour in church on Sunday. But I know a lot of you well enough, even though I've been here a short amount of time, I know you well enough to know that your lives aren't perfect. I know that you're wrestling with all kinds of things, things that you'll share with me and things that you will never mention to another soul as long as you live. I can see and feel the tension in this place. I can see it in your shoulders and in your necks and your faces. I can see how heavy the world is on your shoulders right now. And the only thing that will ever change that is prayer. 
And it's not to say that we deny what's real and what's happening in our lives. It's not to say that we pretend it's not there. But when we recognize that we can only get it through this life, with God and with friends, things start to change. We feel the real tension and the real pain and the fear when we think we're all alone. But friends, look around. You're not. You are never, ever alone. God answers our prayers. Sometimes in ways we cannot imagine. Sometimes in ways that we can't even see. And that's the strange thing about prayer. God answers our prayer, but sometimes, in fact, all the time, you can only know how God is answered by looking backwards. So in each of your bulletins, you should find an envelope. I need you to pull it. Everyone should have a blank envelope, and inside you should find a blank piece of paper. If there is something written on that piece of paper, we have a problem. So make sure you have a blank piece of paper on the inside. And I'm going to give us some directions, and then we're going to talk about why we're doing this. In my experience... When I pray, when I'm asked to pray, as soon as I say amen, I think of ten other things I should have said. When I write prayers, I take the time to really think about what I need to pray for. Some of you might even journal your prayers. It's a habit I need to have. The other thing about writing out a prayer is we're more inclined to not write about something that's trite or cliche. We don't write prayers saying, dear God, I really need your help on this algebra test next week. Or, dear God, I really want to ask this girl to homecoming next week. Please make her say yes. The kind of prayers that are real and true and deep are the ones that have sat in our souls for so long that we can't imagine life without them. So I want you to give you a couple minutes. I want you to write down a true and a real prayer to God. It can be short. It can be simple, it can be long and profound with every adjective you can imagine. I don't care what you write, but I want you to try and write a real prayer to God. And after you write that prayer, you're going to fold up your piece of paper, you're going to place it back in your envelope, and this is maybe the most important part. I need you to write your name and your address on the envelope. Because what we're going to do is we're going to collect all of these prayers, and we're going to leave them here in the sanctuary for three months, Six months, maybe nine months, I don't know. And we're going to pray over them every week. And at some time, when I feel like God wants us to have our letters back, I'm going to put them in the mail and send all of the letters back. So that we can look at what we prayed for today and say, wow, I couldn't imagine that that was the way God was going to answer that prayer. But God did. In some way, shape, or form. The problem is we want instant gratification. We want God to send that lightning bolt down from the sky right now and fix our problems, and that's not the way God works. It took 40 years for Israel to get to Israel. Maybe what we need is six months. So take a couple minutes, write down a prayer, and then when you're done, make sure you put it in your envelope and write your address and your name on it, and we will collect them in offering plates later in the service. So take a couple minutes and write down your prayer to God. I encourage you to be as real and vulnerable in your prayer as possible because the only people that will ever see this is you and God. And it's at this moment that I feel like my third grade teacher and I say, everyone must now place their pens down. If you're not done writing your prayer, you can keep it and finish it after worship and then come place it on the altar. Take as long as you need, but if you have finished it, please place it in the envelope Write your name and address on it so that when the ushers come by in just a second, you can place those in the office.
don't think about, uh, when we do the offering, we just assume that it's always about, we come to church, we worship, and we have to give God money. No, what we offer is far more than what's in our wallets. We offer our time and our talents, and we offer our prayers to God, and we're really going to embody that today. So like I said, if you need more time to write down your prayer and put it on your envelope, you can keep it, uh, and after worship ends, you can finish it and bring it up here to the altar. But if you're done, uh, as the ushers come around, please place it in the plate with your offering this week. So ushers, come receive the gifts of God's people and our prayers to the Lord.